Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame podcast series featuring the best of the best video games of all time. Yes, that's right. We'll be going through the history of video games and discussing the elite games from all generations. Tune in each week as Mike and Matt discuss, break down, and cheer on our inductees. Again, I'm Matt Levy and we're joined by Mike Stubb. How are you, Mike? I am good. I'm very good. I'm excited to talk about some video games today. I've been uh, enjoying our conversations about this stuff over the last handful of weeks. And I think we have a couple of uh, home runs today. Uh, very different than what we've been talking about in the past so far, but it's, uh, it's nice to, um, to have this kind of curveball in the mix. Yeah, yeah. You say home runs. I might even say grand slams. And that's what yeah. makes our podcast so fresh and so fun is that we can talk about a classic JRPG one week and then jump into some classics from another generation, a completely different genre the following week. Yeah. So without further ado, what do you say we jump into our first game today? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's uh, upset the masses. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I think the masses will love this. But there was a time when this game was like public enemy number one. It totally was. And we're going to talk about gaming before console gaming was an everyday normal thing. PC gaming or, or MS-DOS at this point was the main, main thing at the time. And we're talking about Doom. Doom. In software's Doom. The Doom. makers of Wolfenstein. This mm-hmm. was the new franchise that changed things up forever and changed gaming as we know it. Yeah, it's it's like id took all of their own notes from Wolfenstein and and made Doom. They're very similar. Uh at least they feel very similar. But um it's nice to see that both series are still around. Like Doom didn't eat Wolfenstein and and it never came back. So it's cool to see that id is still making games that are very much uh, the progression of what they were doing back in the 90s, but Doom even its name evokes a certain degree of apprehension just hearing the name doom is making those uh it's probably making parents feel a little uncomfortable if you were a parent in the 1990s back when like this was the biggest pc game oh what's the biggest pc game doom what's it about fighting demons on mars okay do i want my kids playing this who knows there's a lot of blood and guts yeah totally this this game has you playing a space marine who became known as the Doom Guy? <laughs> well, let me let me let me get this let me get this on the table. Okay, I understand that we've changed. the The name has kind of changed now to being the Doom Slayer, and I get that. That sounds way better than Doom Guy. But I I'm really partial to Doom Guy. I that's when if they ever put him in Smash Brothers, which I don't think they will. I do want to hear even if he's even if they're called the, the Doom Slayer. I want at least a little bit, at least I want the smash announcer to say doom guy at some point, <laughs> just because I think it's great. Every time they make a smash announcement, I'm sort of hoping doom guy will show up in some small capacity. I don't know exactly how it would work, but I'm all in. I'm all for it. Yeah. I, it, it, it's just, um, you know what? They made snake work and snake literally blows people up with plastic explosives. So I think they can make, make the doom slayer work with the, the chainsaw in some way, shape or form. I don't think it would work on Kirby, but all right. Like, you know what? I, I should stop talking about smash brothers. This is, we need to talk about 
the, the second most offensive game of the 1990s in Doom uh, at the time, to the point where, to this day, it seems like anytime there's some sort of conversation on the news of, is violent video, are violent video games bad for your children? They'll show like the same clip from Doom. And they showed that same clip for like years upon years upon years. And obviously we've gotten better at it now, but having not, and I'm going to full disclosure here, I'm kind of new to Doom in terms of my experience with it. I didn't really play it that much as a kid because I didn't have a PC and I didn't really get any of the console ports, but I had friends that played Doom like crazy, like crazy. And uh, I've actually just started to work my way through Uh, ultimate doom which is doom with extra stuff um, over the last few days and it still feels real good so i'm excited to dive into this uh, hellish landscape of mars-based demon slaying well for myself parallel to my console gaming whether it was the nintendo the genesis my game boy i always had a pc whether it was running dos or windows later I always had a PC my entire life, and this was a game, a first-person shooter nonetheless, that captured, I wouldn't say the hearts, but I would say the mischievous minds of kids everywhere that could fight their way through hordes of invading demons from hell. This is a heavy metal album cover as a video game, really. That's that's what it is. It's like and it's not even just the Doom theme that plays in the first stage, which is like the most metal thing, I think, on, in a video game at that point in time. It's everything about it. This is a game built to appeal to the 90s teenager. It is fast. It is loud. The, sound, the soundscape is so good. The graphics are, are exceptional for that time period. And like... While the blood and gore is gratuitous, it's gratuitous to the point where it's like a, a B-horror movie. You know, it's like a gore fest or, or a grindhouse film. It's not, it's not looking to be super realistic. Now, well, maybe it was in 1993. I, I really can't, can't say. But I know from reading the wonderful book, Masters of Doom, which anyone who's a fan of Doom or id Software in general should actually go out and read. It's one of the coolest video game books I've read that isn't console wars learning the history of doom these guys john carmack john romero and their team were just a group of very talented albeit incredibly goofy silly like forever teenagers like these guys you know were were big fans of like grotesque cartoons and heavy metal and just all of the stuff that kind of turns into doom like when you're walking around the stages in doom you hear these incredibly like grotesque and strange sounds and you see all this kind of blood and gore and the demon design is really great it's it's no wonder why doom works so well as they've continued to progress with it all the things you've discussed mike we're building off of Wolfenstein 3D. Mm-hmm. And Wolf, Wolfenstein 3D from May of 1992 did a lot of things exceptional for its time, but it was very, very limited in what they were able to do in that capacity in that time frame. And I believe, as you said, everything that was on the cutting room floor became Doom. The level design, the enemies, the, the attacks, the weapons, everything about it, the graphics were bumped up to the next level. And this was a 3D game, which, as you said, for the time was 
amazing. And the what it allowed you to do to this game as far as exploration, enemies, it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's great. And I actually played a bit of Wolfenstein 3D from a shareware floppy disk that a friend had given me on a computer that I had at the time. And it was a, it was a low-powered PC, but it was cool to get in there and play Wolfenstein 3D. And comparing Wolfenstein 3D to Doom, you really do see that upgrade. While the gameplay is fairly similar, the upgrades are noticeable. What's crazy is that it's not that far apart, right? Because like Wolfenstein releases in May of 92, and the original Doom releases in December of 93. So they're a little bit more than a year apart. And I think the progress was it was a big leap. It was a big leap. The environments in Doom are much more, much more, they're more developed, right? Even yeah, from a, even from a visual standpoint. It kind of felt like corridors that yeah. were replicated over and over again. They look repetitive. They didn't look unique each level. And you can easily get lost in those levels because everything looked the same. Yeah. This game, I agree with you. The level design was definitely taken to next level. And you can tell they really thought about that by creating more unique platforms that went up and down hidden areas, lava, a lot of red, a lot of hellish colors. Yeah, a lot of red, a lot of, a lot of like sickly putrid green, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of just explosions and fire and really some, some really dark for the time stuff. And while I don't know if I would consider Doom to be a frightening video game, it's definitely something that is, it does elicit a response it does make you feel tense like there's a tension with doom and similar to like a resident evil when you're walking around and you don't necessarily see the zombie but you can hear them doom has that really great aspect of just you're walking around some of these sometimes very tight corridors or you're walking into a room and you start hearing like the monsters or the demons make these sounds and it's like oh great what i find very interesting about doom playing it now in a modern context is that when you're walking around you don't control your your crosshairs really you don't control your your viewpoint right so you're kind of just running and you know shooting stuff that's in front of you and you can really shoot stuff from far away in other games it really wouldn't work at the same angle because you would have to like shift your view but you can't do that in wolf and in, uh, doom unless i'm wrong and i'm playing it incorrectly but it was great. It's great to walk around. It just feels like you're blasting stuff. It really feels to me because it's so quick and Doom just moves at a very fast pace and a great rhythm. It's a heavy metal rhythm, right? It's like a speed metal rhythm. It feels like they took a run and gun without a jump button, of course, and just shifted the view. So you're looking at it from, from the hero, from the Doom Slayer's eyes, which at the time, I mean, there weren't a lot of games that were doing all that first person shooter stuff. I mean, obviously Wolfenstein, but then Doom was kind of like where the first-person shooter really got its foothold. And it makes sense that the first-person shooter is such a PC-centric experience until you get to GoldenEye in 1997 because you're so close to the monitor when you're playing one of these first-person shooter games that there's not much of a disconnect. You're not that far away from the gun that you're holding. Well, I think that, that so many great points there, Mike. I would say the... The Doom series has made a success by just amping up each level, each sequel, each part of the series by really taking it up one notch. And when you go into some of the further levels into this game, 
the enemies, they start crowding you, they start charging at you. And that adds to this energy of these games. And you play some of the modern sequels, which we haven't touched upon, but Doom 2016, and I know the newest one that just came out, Doom Eternal, these games, you are just crowded by hordes of demons and they just build it up and build it up. And yes, the HUD creates this for you. The, the system, the display, the first person display you have, you are holding a weapon or you're holding a knife. And because the, the arm and the hand and the weapon that you see, it almost looks and feels human. Like it's you, like you're this yeah. guy. It's like, you're not, you're, you're, you're like, you know, reaching into the screen as you're making your way through um, Mars with all these um, hell beasts. And yeah, the Doom, what Doom also gets incredibly correct, which a lot of first-person shooters that are good really need to get correct. There's a few things. One, the weight. And I don't mean like time. I mean like the, 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 the weight of your character, their weight as they make their way through this world in relation to everything else feels good. The Doom weapons have a, a significant amount of weight and force to them that feel correct. I mean, I wouldn't know. I, I, I have no idea how a shotgun works in real life. But every shotgun in every first-person shooter since 1993 has been in some way, shape, or form, based on my experience, been based off of Doom's shotgun because it feels so good you swing a corner you swing a corner with it and bam and you you know you it feels you take, powerful you a, yeah it feels like it's powerful and while some of the other weapons like you know the bfg is obviously legendary but then you've got the you know you've got the chain gun you've got you know whatever the rocket launcher is there's a pulse rifle everything they're all very much doom but there's something about that shotgun that stands out among everything else and even when you go and play halo and you use the Halo shotgun, which actually feels amazing. It still feels like it's like, yeah, you're trying to do what Doom was doing, but you're trying to refine it a little bit for the style of game you're playing in. So Doom and the, the folks over at id Software really went out of their way to make these weapons feel great. And I don't know if they realized at the time, but they were laying the foundation on how all of the first-person shooter weapons should work moving forward. Yeah, influential is an understatement when you're talking about Doom because we've talked about the gaming uh, as far as the graphic style, the 3D gaming, first-person shooter. This was huge. Then you're talking about some of the sound effects you said that are just known now throughout the industry when you hear the grunting and you hear the noises Ooh. the monsters make. But yes, it's also these weapons that we might take for granted, but thinking back, Doom, as far as the machine guns, the chainsaws, the BFG, which you glanced upon but the bfg is the the famous doom weapon so there's there's some things that doom laid the groundwork for which yes halo gets the credit for sort of perfecting on the console level but this thing did so many things i mean power-ups as far as in getting health and armor and yeah. ammo these are things we take for granted even getting partial invincibility different suits invulnerability these were power-ups that we take for granted every game uses them but in a first-person shooter this did it sort of first and best. It did. And when you go and play Doom 2016, which is amazing, amazing. In the world of first-person shooters that we're in right now, in a world where Halo is no longer as good as it used to be, Doom is still Doom. And it's everything that you'd expect out of Doom 
when you punch an alien or you punch one of these demons in the mouth in Doom 2016, it just feels so good. And and it's be, you know why you know why though you know why Doom 2016 is so good. Not only because it's based on the original Doom, which is honestly like as for someone who's finally getting it now, Doom in 1993, it, it's it is it is fresh, even as someone playing it. 27 years later it's fresh 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 it still feels good it's fast it's frenetic it's kinetic it's everything you want it to be and doom 2016 knows exactly what doom is trying to do and they're giving you exactly what it is and we don't play doom for we don't play doom for minutia right we're not playing doom to play something that's going to have nuance. No, we're not necessarily looking for story, plot, or even characters. I'm there for, it's like, you know, the, the base plot of a bunch of uh, demons show up on Mars and you have to kill them all, fine. That's all I need because Doom is, Doom is, being, is super blunt and it's super heavy-handed on purpose. It knows exactly what it is. It's not trying to give you Shakespeare. What it's giving you is it's giving you some uh, a, a, the ability to play as a character who is going to rip a demon's head off with their bare hands. Now, like, I, like I've said on prior, prior podcasts, that, that's incredibly violent, but it works so well. And it just shows the progression. I mean, it is still making top-tier shooters. If you've played either of the new Wolfenstein games, they're terrific terrific they're just worth every single penny you pay for them and their expansions in their expansion packs uh, at least for the first wolfenstein with the expansion packs apparently the newest one isn't as good but i haven't played it much but wolfenstein the new colossus and wolfenstein the new order are like lights out good and they know exactly what they're doing yeah, they're making yeah 30 years later the company that basically invented the first-person shooter is still making arguably the best ones today. It's, it's one of those things where sometimes you just got to be who you are, right? You can try to be different. You can try to push the envelope. You can try to change what type of stuff you're doing, but at the end, it is just going to make something that is heavy metal as a video game, and no one does it better than Doom. Well, a couple things that they did special and first here, there was a multiplayer mode. You could do a co-op campaign, which again, that's taken for granted today, but this was a big deal at its time. Yeah. And not to mention there's Doom Deathmatch too, right? Yeah, Deathmatch. Uh, they, they were obviously Ultimate Doom and other versions of this game that were released that had additional levels as well. This game had cheat codes, which cheat codes, you joke about it in games today, but this was a thing back in the 90s. There were cheat codes in games, and it made games more fun. You could go through walls. You get invulnerability, all the weapons. Cheat codes are fun. I, I like playing with cheats after I finish the game the first time and just running through it and destroying everything. I remember someone had a cheat on one of the Dooms. It might have been Doom 1 or 2. It was a friend of mine uh, where, like, the, the Space Marine's face at the bottom of the page would change to Barney. Uh, and as like you would get beat up, like you would see like the Barney face start to get beat up. This was all very '90s heavy people. No, absolutely. So. I mean, we talk about cheats, but here you go. You're talking about mods. Mods, yeah. Mods man. were you know PC world. We've had it now for decades, but 
there's a ton of Doom mods out there, whether it's your favorite anime, cartoon, or TV show, or movie. There was a mod of Doom out there somewhere with dozens of different characters and graphical changes, and mods are just what made Doom live on for years. It's part of that whole, like, renegade PC culture that led... First of all, let id to make to make and release Doom and Wolfenstein the way they did. I mean, the fact that Wolfenstein was released as shareware, like one of the best first-person shooters of all time, was just like, yeah, you can play the first couple of st- first handful of stages for free. Why not? And just like open source, like they 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 were they were like it. It's so I have a lot of respect for id. I really do for their, for their overall philosophy and for like sticking to it, even though they've been bought by a very large company and they're like part of the whole Zenimax Bethesda umbrella at this point, man, those guys were like, it, it just keeps coming back to like the rebellion of rock and roll and heavy metal. Yeah. And after and this, they, they, yeah. they still had more ingenuity in them that they would do Quake. The Quake. Series. <laughs> it's like- Quake 3 is one of the biggest multiplayer deathmatch shooters out there and that just shows the wolfenstein success the doom the quake these guys were really uh on top of their game yeah they were and they still got a lot of gas in the tank i know john carmack has has since left it i think it's mostly run by john romero now and i think john carmack works on like vr and and like rocket ships and stuff because that guy is beyond insanely intelligent but uh, it software has not lost its its drive. It hasn't lost its 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 edge. Like it's it's funny because you would look at Doom now and, and say, oh, well, this would have gotten old after after a certain amount of time." Until you play Doom 2016 and uh, and and punch a demon, and then you're like, "No, no, this still feels really nice. This is really what this genre and this series were all about." And I love games like Halo. I really do. I'm not the biggest first person shooter fan out there but i love games like halo i love games like bioshock i love games like metroid prime and none of them exist if not for doom not at all i don't so think you could, so you can give wolfenstein credit for being the first yeah but I, I don't think all those other games would exist if not for doom no i think i think it needed to get to doom i really do i think they needed to get to doom and then from there everything branched out and that's great and that's great it is a bit upsetting that the first-person shooter was so much more of a PC thing for so long that it took a long time for them to really find a home on consoles. And while GoldenEye gets a lot of the credit for being the push to get first-person shooters on consoles, like they proved that it could work, I still don't think the first-person shooter was um, found its home on the console really until you get to the uh, Xbox with Halo. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say when you look back, Doom's success, it didn't start on, my, on Microsoft on, on Windows. It started before that. Yeah. And Doom was estimated to be installed on more computers worldwide than, than Windows 95. Even, even with all their advertising campaigns and everything, Doom was on millions and millions of computers. And eventually then Microsoft you know, had it ported to Windows 95 to promote it as a new gaming platform. Funny enough, the development team was actually led by Gabe Newell, who's actually the founder of Valve. 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 Half-Life 2 is another game that wouldn't exist without Doom. Exactly. So it's kind of funny how all these guys and all these companies and all these guys leading the pack are all kind of intertwined here and there. You know what it's like? It's like the same vibe of like something like this. This was like a subculture, right? This was like 
the gaming equivalent of CBGB in the 1970s, right? So these were a bunch of young, brash game developers and programmers who shared information and just went on to make like some of the biggest games ever made. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. All about these, these programmers and these guys work with early code. And it's, this is way before, you know, the, the, the graphics and the systems that we have today. These guys were just kind of do it themselves. These guys did not have teams with 300 people. No, they, if you read the book Masters of Doom, it's like four guys. It's like four guys working overtime for a magazine when they should have been working on other things, but they were making, but the, the demo discs that they were making and the games that they were making to go out in this uh, computer magazines were selling so many computer magazines that they didn't care. They were just like, you know what, just keep doing what you're doing. And it's crazy how id starts off while they go and make, you know, the most influential shooters of all time, they start off making 2d platformers. I think this was where their success really hit. This is where they really found their groove. And they said they were inspired by some, you know, Nintendo uh, classics and the Marios and the Zeldas and the Metroids of the world. Yeah. So when you look at it and you, you read the stories about it, their first games, well, not their first game, but the game that kind of put them on the map, which is Commander Keen, was purposely made to be a ripoff of Super Mario Brothers 3 because uh, they wanted to prove that you could make a 2D scrolling platformer on on the pc which at the at that point in time was thought to not you couldn't do it it was thought that you couldn't do it in that period of time so it's you know it's hilarious that you get you get doom essentially like the path that leads into doom starts at super mario brothers 3 but that's just because art influences art influences art right so we're going to talk about you know we're talking about doom which is inspired by you know cartoony platformers of the 80s and then, you know, when we get further on the, in this episode, we're going to talk about other games that were inspired by games that doesn't, doesn't always, like, compute, yeah. right? Where they Game came from. development takes strange paths and strange journeys. And they say sometimes a gameplay mechanic or something, they decide, you know what? We're going to make our game around this. And then the whole plot and story gets created for a game around something they created in an engine. Exactly. And what also, it's, what, comes, what it comes down to is creativity is, like, a pool, right? And everyone's always pulling from the same pool. Video games are a medium that has a long history. And there's a lot of people who have played a lot of different video games of many different styles and genres. And sometimes you get a developer who's just like, yeah, I kind of want to make this game. And here's how I'm going to pull influence from Super Mario Brothers 3, or I'm going to pull influence from Doom, or I'm going to pull influence from Super Metroid. And it's crazy how sometimes we can get to these places, you know, and Doom is a game where if you told me that it was influenced by Mario by playing Doom, I would tell you, uh, you sound like you're not playing the same Mario I'm playing. But when you look at Commander Keen and how Commander Keen is kind of, you know, a 2D platformer, but it's got kind of that like gross out 90s, you know, late 80s, early 90s kind of like booger joke mentality very ren and stimpy kind of mentality and like and you see that's clearly influenced by mario 3 and then you go and play doom and it's like yeah there's a certain sense of humor behind this gore i think if you love gaming lore and you love the history of gaming i think you gain appreciation from where these ideas were born from yeah absolutely where everything started because we didn't just wake up and get god of war on playstation 4 you know these things don't just happen on their own it takes new 
ideas and this whole cra gets crafted from someone designing a system and that's reused in the next game. They change it this way and slight alterations along the way, each generation get us to where we are today. So I love, I love hearing all these stories about, you know, id software, how they almost collapsed before, you know, Wolfenstein and Doom, they, they almost didn't exist. I know it's, and you know, by kind of sheer, willpower and uh, a lot of pizza and a lot and very little sleep this company was able to become one of the most influential video game companies of all time and that's only if they made those two games i wanted to share a few more thoughts on doom uh, considered one of the most significant games in video game history frequently cited as one of the greatest games of all time defining the first person shooter genre as we know it inspiring numerous similar games they called Doom clones for many years. It also pioneered, as we said, online distribution, technologies including 3D graphics, networked multiplayer gaming, and support for mods. These were things that, you know, you hit upon this, the music, the sound, we hit upon the graphics. There's just so many things that makes this game, I think, an instant Hall of Famer. I think that Doom, if you want to talk about uh, significant video games doom might be one of the top easily it was doing so much more than what anyone else was doing at that period of time and as someone who was primarily a console gamer i didn't quite appreciate it at first or i didn't really know to appreciate it at first until i saw how much doom did and i understood more of the pc gaming culture of that era but like you're talking about mods this is 93 like mods still aren't as widely used as you would expect. Like this, this, this game is like 20 years ahead of its time. Easily. Oh, absolutely. And I would say if you, if you were interested in playing it today, my personal suggestion would say maybe skip the first couple, maybe jump in at doom three or maybe even doom 2016 is not a bad place. Mike said several times that game is really good. It's definitely really the good. highest rated in the series. You can't go wrong playing Doom 2016. But if you want to jump into one of the classics, you got Doom 64, which is a little bit of a strange one. But I'd say jump and play it. Know where, where gaming came from. They're cheap. Like, or inexpensive would be the right way to say it. The, uh, the nicer way to say it. They're very inexpensive. I bought Ultimate Doom for five bucks. So I would definitely suggest, if you want to see what it's like, first, now it's not super precise. Doom is not a very precise shooter, right? It's a little clunky, you know? There's yeah. definitely, it definitely has its warts, and it's not going to be as pretty as some of the things you play today, but this game is a landmark. It is influential, and it's still kind of fun. It's really fun. It's, granted, it's not... If you're like a Call of Duty, like, super precise shooter player, it's like... Yeah, you're going to go to it and be like, why can't, you know, why is it so, why is it so like, not on rails, but it's just like, you kind of point your gun in the general direction of your enemy and you'll, you'll hit them. It's mindless. It's mindless yeah. action. Very little strategy. Yes, you can get very skilled and there are people that are very good at the game. Absolutely. But this game does not require you to understand complicated systems. You go and blast and have a darn good time. That's really it. It's just high octane and energetic fun, and uh, I think the I think there's very much a place for something like Doom uh, in the gaming industry today.
Hoorah. So we're going to end our Doom discussion there. And you said high octane. And I think that leads us to oh boy. the next juggernaut of the gaming world that came out in 2001, originally for the PlayStation 2, and that is the action-adventure game Grand Theft Auto 3. I was grabbing a sandwich at the Happy Blimp, and all of a sudden these guys crashed through the window and started shooting at each other. I was so excited, I didn't even notice I'd been hit. After that, I was hooked on Liberty City Survivor. I watch it every day in the hospital. The game doesn't end until there's only one man left standing. Yeah, I mean, I guess we picked an episode today where it's just like, yeah, we're going to pick games that just went out of their way to upset people's parents <laughs> at both times in which they came out. Because Grand Theft Auto 3, after like Doom and Mortal Kombat, I want to say that Grand Theft Auto 3 was one of the first games that was, would make headlines on just how controversial and... And how like upset it would make uh, the general populace of well, first of all the na- the name of the game right the game is named after a crime, <laughs> you know Grand Theft Auto is a legitimate real world crime that you that people commit and go to jail for, so it's <laughs> it's great that Rockstar, like their name suggests, Rockstar did not care and they were just like yeah we're gonna make a ga- series of games what's it called Grand Theft Auto now that hits you right when you hear that you're like oh. Isn't that a crime? It's like naming a game murder. Well, well, today it's just GTA. It doesn't even get called Grand Theft Auto. Rockstar Games was in a very interesting place when this game came out because the Grand Theft Auto series really was not a success at this time. This game was a huge, I'd say, reboot of, of, of the engine and of the entire scope of the game yes the core mechanics and the what you're trying to do is similar but this game was completely different there were there were there was one game that was similar to grand theft auto 3 before grand theft auto 3 came out and i i always talk about this game when i talk about grand theft auto 3 because it doesn't ever really get enough credit but the first game i played that was like grand theft auto 3 in some way shape or form obviously grand theft auto 3 is lights out amazing but if you ever play Driver 2 on the PlayStation, I'm not saying that Rockstar went and played Driver 2 and you know took notes, but there was there are some aspects of Grand Theft Auto 3 that seem to at least fall in line with a progression off of something like Driver 2 to the point where like your felony level goes up, the way you walk around and get out of your car, and there's this sort of open environment. I'm glad you hit upon a few of the mechanics there. So obviously the game itself, you're trying to stay out of trouble, but you can't help yourself. There's a six star meter. And every time you cause a little more trouble, well, that star level increases. And by the end, you got helicopters, you got cop cars chasing you everywhere. And it's hard to run. Once they start sending the military after you, once you get to like Staunton Island, that's when, you know, kind of your mindless do nothing runs on grand theft auto you could have some real fun with it and it's a it's a good way to get the tank but what's great about grand theft auto is that it allows the player to play kind of how they want and while there is a mission structure throughout this game and while many open world games i would say most open world games have been kind of based on how grand theft auto 3 did its thing each mission can be played you know differently as long as you succeed you succeed you know it's like well if you got to kill someone you can kill them from far away or you can get up and close and personal 
you know, it's 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 very um it leaves the player a lot of it leaves the player a lot of agency yeah. over what you can and can't do. Well, the developers actually said they struggled with this because they said when in testing people get so distracted just going off and having a good time and stealing cars and running around that sometimes the missions became an afterthought and the focus of the game, people would just collect cars in their garage, fool around, do all the side stuff and didn't even get to the plot because this game being an open world game, it's based heavily on New York city. They call it Liberty city. They set you loose in an open world. And those are terms that we take for granted today. In 2020, there's a dozen open world games that come out every month or two. The open world games are one of the biggest genres. I feel like open, everything's an open world game now to some degree, you know, even if they're a different genre. But Grand Theft Auto 3 was really kind of, it might not be the first, but it was definitely the first real significant one that I remember playing on a console. And it would drive me crazy because I would play with a lot of friends and there were plenty of times where like, I'm the guy who I'll pick up Grand Theft Auto 3, I'll hop in and I want to, I want to do the missions. I want to get the stuff. I want to get all the cars. I want to see what the story has to tell me. I want to do what the missions ask. But there are plenty of times where we would play Grand Theft Auto 3 and we're just like, yeah, we're just going to trade the controller off and uh, see how much trouble we can get into before we're stopped, which is great. It's a really fun way to, to spend some time just trying to get creative and you know running away from the cops. But Claude has a story. <laughs> like He's got a story. There's something going on here. So there's really great elements of stuff like like goodfellas and the godfather and also a little bit of love towards super mario 64 because while grand theft auto is much more open to super mario 64 super mario 64 is kind of the game that lays the the framework for something like grand theft auto 3 to happen and uh, rockstar i believe has dma designs made a N64 game called Space Station Silicon Valley, which allowed you to take control of these robotic animals because you played as a microchip that would jump on these animals and like control their brain. Almost in the same way in Grand Theft Auto 3 that you would get into different vehicles. And each vehicle had its kind of like, had its own own stats and stuff like that. So it's kind of like you can, when you look at it, it's like, oh, I could see where the ideas behind Grand Theft Auto 3 were starting to kind of grow when you play stuff like Super Mario 64 and then Space Station Silicon Valley. Yeah, the, the basic elements of the game, when they were coming up with concepts, how to make this game work, it was this carjacking mechanic. And this they start with a prototype. They said... Well, that's fun. And that really becomes the, the biggest motif, the biggest concept success of Grand Theft Auto, of GTA, is these games should be able to take some guy, throw him out of his car, jump in there and drive away. And it's, it's amazing how fun that is, how basic a concept it is, but how you can take just a, a prototype idea and just run with it. No, absolutely. And it feels good. It works, right? Uh, it's, it's a system that, kind of pushes the player to get creative uh especially since like every car is up for is up to be uh stolen right i mean in previous games you had to save up enough money to buy a certain car or you had to win some sort of reward to get a car in a game but this game kind of as you said it gave them a freedom to the player 
Yeah. You know, yes, you're Claude, but at this point, he wasn't actually named Claude to one of the previous, this one of the sequels to, to, I think San Andreas, they name him. You're the unnamed protagonist at this point. So they, he stays silent primarily because they wanted the players to feel like they were able to identify with this unnamed character. Whatever yeah. actions you make, you are that guy. Yes, it's, it's you doing these things. And, you know, in today's video game environment, that character would be customizable, right? You'd be able to make that character look like whatever you really wanted and to the point if you go and play Grand Theft Auto Online or for Grand Theft Auto V, that's really what it is, right? It's kind of, kind of this brought into an online environment. But Liberty City felt so alive in 2001. It was like... It was like kind of like nothing we'd ever seen before. I watched the trailer of the original ga- 2001 release. I watched the trailer just to get a feel for what were they showing people at this time, just to say, what are we selling you? And they showed the day to night, the, the, the sun versus the nighttime. They're showing the cars all moving, how alive the city is, people walking around, cars. And you're right. This was nothing like a living, breathing, breathing world. No, it was, you know, characters have dialogue. And as you walk through the world, you hear them saying ridiculous things. Um, there were radio stations that had songs. There was licensed music. There was a radio station that I always kept it to called Chatterbox, where it was a talk radio station hosted by real DJs, right? So Laszlo from Chatterbox is a legitimate radio DJ who worked on like the sound design and worked with uh, Rockstar to kind of procure all these different licenses and songs and stuff. Like he worked with them quite a bit, but yeah, it's, it feels like, it feels like this kind of crime movie version of real life to a degree. It felt it, it's not realistic at all, but it has those ties to realism and it fantasizes realism to the point where it makes it so incredibly enjoyable to play. And there's a lot to do in Grand Theft Auto 3. It is a big, big, big game. I'm so glad you mentioned the music because the music is one of the many things in this game that, yes, makes us feel like a real world. So, yes, it's influenced by Mario 64. And also they say a little bit of of, of Goodfellas. It becomes this cross between... It's got this kind of gangster movie vibe to it, but the whole movie feels cinematic. That cinematic feel to this movie makes it feel like because you have motion capture that's used for the animations, you have voice acting, you have real music. All these things make this, instead of a game that we're used to, it's cartoony or animated. This gives us a real breathing, realistic looking for its time world that you feel like you could jump in and just hang out in. And like you had real actors, you know, not, not saying that, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. You had like known actors, right? Starting to show up in these games uh, with voice talent. Uh, I believe Michael Madsen's in Grand Theft Auto 3. I think he might voice one of the, one of the people uh, as a name that like stands out. But like this is when it started being, we could, they started using a little bit of star power to, to get people... What was the one after three before San Andreas? So after three, you had Liberty City where Tommy Versetti is voiced by Ray Liotta, uh, one of the good fellas. Right. So it's, it started being something where they were pulling, you know, Hollywood talent in 
to give it more of that cinematic approach. And video games have always kind of had a difficult time being considered or viewed as a legitimate art form or a legitimate performance, a legitimate like performance medium. Because uh, a lot of video games, even when they're really good, have like, you know, B-movie style stories. That and a lot of people just see games as games. games. They don't see them as yeah. a form of art. They see them as kid, something a kid enjoys. Mm-hmm. But when you see something like this that really has such production value, and that's really the word to use is, yeah. is the production value. This, all of this, this whole package, I believe it was only able to be made because of the power of the PlayStation 2. I feel yes. like it's hard to talk about GTA 3 without talking about the PS2, which it moved on from CDs of the PS1 to DVDs, which allowed them to obviously expand the world, more data as far as what the discs hold. And that let them create audio, video that was not capable of being done prior to this. No, you're right. And while Grand Theft Auto 3 has been released on a bunch of other consoles or it's, it's available in many different forms. Now it's always going to feel like the, a PS2 game to me. Uh, that's how it was in 2001. And to me, that's how it continues to, to feel. And while rockstar has done a lot more with the grand theft auto franchise since grand theft auto three, and I'm pretty sure the games have gotten much bigger since grand theft auto three at that time, nothing, quite, nothing felt quite that big with all your three, different, your three different areas that you could go to. You'd be working for the Italian mob in one part of the game, and then all of a sudden you're working with the Yakuza or you're trying to escape the triad. So it had like this kind of like, while yeah, there's a Goodfellas, 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 there's a Goodfellas vibe to it, because you do work with the Italian mafia for like the first third of the game. It's got a bit of like, kind of like this kind of like gang wars, mob wars style clash. Like how many games at that point in time tackled dealing with the Yakuza? Like that's not something you really deal with um, in, in a lot of video games and like other like crime families from all different parts of the world. It was very interesting to have these these crime families pitted against each other because they were all forced into this relatively small environment. If we're basing it off of like the greater New York metropolitan area. And while Liberty city has changed to actually become new, just flat out, it's New York now, like uh, grand theft auto four was just like, yeah, it's just, it's New York. Don't even, don't even try to think otherwise. Liberty City in Grand Theft Auto 3 absolutely feels like New York City. 100% feels like New York City. But there are things about it that are very not New York City. So it's not like an exact clone. But for those of us who grew up in the shadow of New York City, it was kind of cool, right? It was, it was cool to be like, well, obviously New York is like the setting of every movie ever and every comic book ever, right? But to be able to like drive around this fake New York, it was cool. It felt like, it felt like we were getting like this kind of nod from the video game community. Like, yeah, New York is where you want to be. Well, I think beyond that, even if you're not from the New York area, if you're from a major city, I think you can enjoy just the city world, the city breathing world. And if you're not a major city, you can get a feel for what that's like for a hundred plus hours living in this 
living, breathing world. So I think you touched upon some great things. You know, you said earlier that the controversy of this game, these themes you just talked about now, these gang wars, it's not just that. It's the, the sex, the drugs, yeah. the murder. These are things that are talked about and not just whispered about. These are major plot points of the game, major areas you, you, you play around in. I mean, and yeah. It's, it's very racy for the time. And this was banned in many areas in the world. This, you know, this was the rated M for mature game to end all rated M for mature games. I mean, one of the first characters you meet is a guy who puts bombs in cars. Like that's literally what he does. Eight ball puts bombs in cars. One of the first missions, side missions that you, you have is to help a prostitute out. Like, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that degree of storytelling is important. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think it, it does think, push the envelope. And I think some of the ragdoll effects, as we call them, some of the, body limb flying when you get hit by a car these type of things do downplay what real violence is like in real life but i still think this deals with some heavy themes that scared people away and it didn't stop the game from being mega successful i think people and kids wanted even more because when you're told you can't play this this is risque you can't wait to get your hands on it well when you're a kid and you're playing it it feels like you're breaking the rules as an adult, when you go back, it's, I think it's important to tell stories that, you're, that are morally kind of gray, that have these characters that operate in a zone that isn't lawful good and isn't chaotic evil. These are characters that are based on, they're based on, I wouldn't say real people, but there's a certain reality to it. You know, there are people that, kind of have these troubled pasts that, you know, f- you know, work in these, these, these realms of things. And you would hope that it would help people sympathize with folks who actually have issues that, um, you know, that, that actually kind of live these lives. And it's also, it's, it's super like 1970s New York crime movies. Like who doesn't love that? Right. Those movies, I mean, movies like definitely hyperbole. They definitely yes. take things to extremes. The characters, the situations are not, Every day, yes, there are bad situations out there, but they definitely amp this up to the next level. Yeah, it's totally like, it's totally on 11, right? It's totally turning the amps up to 11. It's a little bit like Taxi Driver. It's a little bit like The Sopranos. It's, it's got that kind of grimy 70s New York feel, which at the time, New York really didn't have in 2001, and it still kind of doesn't really have it. It's kind of lost that kind of grime to it. But... It, this game is just, there's, there's too many good things to say about this game. Absolutely. Reviewers at the time, they, they, they love the game for its wonderful sound, its gameplay, its open world design. The biggest critic at the time were directed at the controls of the game. People said that jack of all trades, but didn't master any of them. So when it comes to like shooting guns or driving a car, a lot of games have done each of those mechanics better, but this tried to do everything. So they, I think it was the ambition. I mean, that's, that's your own ambition. Yeah. Like you said, it's your own ambition getting the better of you. It, you know, they're making a game where you drive and you shoot and you fly planes and you can't swim, uh, <laughs> which, you know, whatever, but I, you can't, I can't blame rockstar for that. This was just an overly ambitious project. 
that would change the face of video gaming literally it's forever. It's amazing that, it's, that it worked out as well as it did. With this grand plan that they had for this game, you think so much could go wrong. It was released a critical acclaim. Uh, Metacritic to this day has an average of 97 out of 100, which is the sixth highest rated on Metacritic, tied with a number of others. So you're talking about not only was it loved by people, but reviewers knew this game was good. It was everyone was playing this in 2001. If you didn't have an Xbox and if you didn't have an Xbox and you weren't playing Halo in 2001, you were playing Grand Theft Auto 3. Totally. It's it didn't come to the PC till the year later, 2002. Yep. It came to Xbox a year after that. But I agree with you. The reason why it sold millions on PS2 and it, I think it is what part of the PS2's mega success was the creation and invention of Grand Theft Auto 3. Yep, absolutely. And also, while you're at it, look back at 2001. The fact that Grand Theft Auto 3 comes out as like one of the best, if, the not, if not the best game of 2001, you kind of need to look back at 2001 and just see how ridiculously good 2001 was. It's a testament to how good Grand Theft Auto 3 is, how it kind of is the game that's still almost always talked about. You know, in 2001, you had Halo, you had Metal Gear Solid 2, you had Final Fantasy X, you had Devil May Cry. I mean, these are giant games. But it's Grand Theft Auto 3. This is the only that, one that I think crossed into the mainstream, into yeah. the news, into everyone's homes more than... And those games are all juggernauts, like you Great. just said. Devil May Cry series is unbelievable. unbelievable. But this game hit a whole other plateau. This game changed everything. It, it, to you know, to to just really tie it up, tie it up in one sentence, it it changed gaming forever. Well, uh, how throw, everything's an open world game now. I'm gonna throw <laughs> a couple of series at you that would not exist today: the True Crime series, Saints Row, Nope, Crackdown, mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. These games do not exist without Grand Theft Auto Three. No way. And even though the genre is different for a lot of these games or for some of these games rather, like Assassin's Creed is essentially an open world RPG now. The open world mechanics and the way open world games work, it all ties itself back to Grand Theft Auto 3. Even Rockstar's other projects. Oh, Red Dead is... Red Dead Redemption is... It might as well be a city game turned into a Western. It's it's all there. It's it's all there. And honestly, I, I, I think that Red Dead Redemption 2 might actually, you know, be better than uh, Grand Theft Auto 5. But... It's you don't have any of it without Grand Theft Auto um, Three. It's it it just gave us the modern open world action game, and you got to credit it for that. You have to, and this game for me was an easy Hall of Famer. There are some games that we might discuss that you might say, "Eh, okay, that game was influential, but it's not that great." This game was great. It's influential. It did everything for its time, and it broke everyone's idea of what a video game could be in 2001. Yeah, yeah it, it really did. It turned everything on its head. And, you know, for, for the kids that were playing N64 games and playing games like Super Mario 64, you know, by the time 2001 gets around and you're, you know, in your teens at that point and it's time to step it up. It, it's something that made you feel like you had made a natural progression and got older, right? It's a, it's a game that, that is like, oh, I can watch rated R movies now. I can play these games. It's, it, it does definitely capitalize on its edge. While it's incredibly funny, like the thing that's, it's, it's, it's crazy because it's like Doom. We were talking about Doom before and like 
Doom is horrifically violent to the point of, like, to a humorous degree. Grand Theft Auto 3 falls into that same category. It's like it has fun with just how, just how kind of ridiculous it is, right? Like, Grand Theft Auto 3 doesn't take itself incredibly seriously. It strives for realism, but takes everything, as you said, to the extreme. Yeah, and it's silly. Like, it, there's a lot of it that's really kind of silly. Like, how many times do you drive through Grand Theft Auto 3 and, like, hear something legitimately funny? Uh, and it's because the writing over at Rockstar is so good. It's, it's, they, they really care about how their character work works. And, like, to this day, to this day, I still quote Grand Theft Auto 3 with some of my friends, like I would quote a movie like Ghostbusters. That and you remember the songs and the music yeah. played from these the soundtracks that are just unbelievable. And similar to you said before, you said, you know, first-person shooters might not be your, your forte when we were talking about Doom. Open-world games are not necessarily my favorite genre of games. I find that sometimes I get easily distracted. It's when I open up into the world, I feel like there's too much to do. I get overwhelmed. I prefer a more linear experience. Mm -hmm. Back in 2001, I cannot tell you how many mornings I was late for school, (laughs) how many nights I stayed up way too late because this game hooked me in in every way you didn't think possible. Yeah, and it's it's one of those games that feel like you said before the the cinematic nature of it. It does feel like you're playing through a film, and if you're someone who you know was into film, and you're into the movies that this is based on. I mean, being from New York, and you know, I'm I'm of Italian descent. <laughs> I can't tell you how many holidays I've seen The Godfather at, or how many times I've watched Goodfellas. But it kind of it, it it pulls on that right. It pulls on those it pulls on those strings, right? It, it gets you with the things that made movies like that so great and then makes it a video game, but also isn't afraid to have fun with itself. It's, it's, it's really great. It's a lesson in, it's just a lesson in being honest with like Doom. It's a lesson in being honest with who you are as a video game developer. And as you said, this is sort of when games became more cinematic. Yeah, I don't believe, and I, I'm sure there are games before this that had, cutscenes that felt like a movie and played out but this is the first one that really felt like they were telling you a true story with actors and characters and it felt real because this open breathing world yeah it was not a linear experience you played it the way you wanted to you caused mischief which a lot of people did shooting rocket launchers and whatnot but this game just did it all first and to touch on what you talked about before when you were talking about Doom with cheat codes, I mean, Grand Theft Auto 3 is chock full of them. You can play with, you know, infinite life. You can punch in a code to get tons of money. You can get infinite ammo with every gun. You know, it's, it's great. But I will say this much about Grand Theft Auto and its cinematic nature. Nothing feels quite as good in Grand Theft Auto 3 than jumping into the, I want to say it's the Banshee which is designed to look like the Dodge Viper and uh, crashing through the showroom window that it's in and then driving around the streets of, I think the area is called Portland at that point with like a rocket launcher and just causing absolute total chaos throughout the entire city. It is, it is a dream 
<laughs> it is a dream. Bird, I remember exactly what you described like it was yesterday. Yes. And when you're causing that mischief, sometimes you say, oh, you know what? If I can run away and hide, maybe I'll get my star ranking down and maybe I can start it all over again. Because if you only start with a star or two, you can sometimes get away and you can get fresh new start. But I got to tell you, causing mischief can go on for hours. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's a, just a really fresh and fun experience. If you didn't have time to really play through the story, uh, you could hop into Grand Theft Auto, cause some problems and then move on to whatever you had to do. Awesome. Well, Mike, any, any closing thoughts? I think we've, uh, you could talk about this game for hours and hours. Yeah. I feel like this, Days. like Ocarina and other games before it, this game has so much to talk about. I think we hit everything that we can think off the top of our head because we can go on for hours on this game. Anything else you'd like to cover? Yeah, I just, I just think that Grand Theft Auto 3 is it's just a milestone. And I was, um, geez, how old was I when I played Grand Theft Auto 3? I think it was like 15. 15, it felt like I was like, it made you feel a little bit like an adult as a teenager. And as a teenager, that's kind of all you want to be at that point in time, you want to be an adult that can make their own decisions and live life by their own terms, but you're still stuck in, in, in a, in, you're stuck at a point in life where you really aren't trusted yet to kind of do things on your own. And Grand Theft Auto 3 is this open world game that gives you the keys to the car and says, go have fun. And you're Play doing this a lot game. of mature adult things making money doing this doing that doing a lot of mature adult things like blowing up planes with a with a bazooka. well some illegal too but you know people say video games kind of a negative effect but sometimes it's yeah. lets you play out silly yeah. ridiculous things you and know listen it's i honestly it's if it's a stress reliever if it's a way for you to get in there and and just like giggle at something for a little bit i i'm powered to it man you know how i feel about video games well well guys I can't have to tell you to keep playing Grand Theft Auto games because Grand Theft Auto 5 is still probably the best-selling game every year. What's the best-selling piece of entertainment of all time? It sold like 100 million copies. 100 million copies. Now, now let, let's, let's talk about that for just a second, right? We talk about this on this show. We've talked ten, plenty of times. We're talking about monumental successes of games that sold like two and three and four million copies. Grand Theft Auto 5 has sold over 100 million million copies and it's also ported it's going to be now three generations because it started on ps3 and xbox 360 ps4 and xbox one now it's going to be on the new they're making a new updated port so the money's going to keep coming in for rockstar stupid stupid mike will buy it for the fifth time i, I you know i bought grand theft i've bought grand theft auto 5 let me tell you i haven't even finished it like i haven't finished the story i bought grand theft auto 5 on xbox 360 i bought it again on uh on playstation 4 when that came out because my my i didn't have an xbox one it right away then i bought it on pc so i guess stupid mike is only going to buy it four times because i'll buy it again on the ps5 because why wouldn't i and it's like skyrim it's the same it's like eh, we're just gonna hey what what's consoles coming out next year oh the ps7 yeah well well grand theft auto 5 is gonna be on and what's funny about gta 3 is it was only released on the ps2 the xbox and the pc and then they released a mobile version for its anniversary but they haven't re-released it since then in updated versions. So you wonder if they're just keeping the newer stuff coming out. They don't necessarily, Rockstar doesn't necessarily remaster their old games. No, they don't, they don't go back to the old games. I would love to see this on the Switch. I think Grand Theft Auto 3 on the Switch would be a really, really nice little 
uh, game to play on the go. Uh, I think a lot of people would enjoy that. I would also not mind seeing a, um, a re-release of Grand Theft Auto Vice City or San Andreas. All rumors are pointing to Grand Theft Auto 6 taking place in Vice City. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, it's very exciting. Well, I think that, that finishes off our conversation of Grand Theft Auto 3. Really, just saying those words, you feel like it's just a monstrous, monstrous piece of entertainment. Yep. But Mike, any games you've been playing lately you want to talk about? Yes, I've been playing Yakuza Like a Dragon still. I'm still making my way through that. I'm trying to stick to my... It's the end of the year, so I get a little distracted when it comes to trying to get all those Game of the Year picks in. Uh, There's still a few that I have to play, especially before Cyberpunk takes over my life in a month. So I'm still trying to make my way through Yakuza 7. I picked up uh, and, and I've been having this kind of stressed relationship with Hades because I don't like roguelikes. But everyone is telling me that this is like one of the best games of the year and credit to them. I mean, it is beautifully designed. Uh, the, the artwork is amazing. The music is amazing. The voice acting is amazing. The story is great. How it handles Greek myth is wonderful. I love super giant games. I think that Bastion is one of the most fun, you know, action adventure role-playing games uh, in the last handful of years. But I'm not a big roguelike guy. But I've started to learn how to play Hades to the point where it's been becoming more enjoyable for me. I don't think this will be a game for me that will be my game of the year definitively. That being said, my views and opinions and tastes are very different or can be very different from a lot of other people. So I totally respect it. Roguelikes are a very interesting genre. I'd say they're not too different than soul games because I feel like when you lose you feel like you have to almost backtrack and it yeah. kind of punishes you a little bit. The difference obviously with a roguelike is everything's procedurally generated. Every time you walk into a room, it could be different than your prior experience. So it makes them kind of unique. I can agree with you. I've never been a tremendous fan of roguelike games, but I've heard great things about Hades. Yeah. Hades, like I'm telling you, even if you look at it and from a, from a design and production standpoint, it is it is, a, it is a piece. It is a nice piece to look at. It is very, very well designed. It, is, it controls incredibly well. It's just the only problem I'm having with it is that I'm not very good at it. And I don't like dying in video games. It, it makes me feel upset. And I have a hard time with roguelikes because I don't, I don't like being punished for when I lose. That being said, I should probably get over that and realize that this is a very important genre of games. And I am starting to enjoy myself with Hades. I totally understand why it's on the game of the year list for this year. I'm not saying that ah, Hades is garbage, but it's not my flavor of ice cream necessarily, but hopefully it will slowly become my flavor of ice cream. Well, I think that sounds like an open invitation for you guys to get on Mike. So if you want to get on Mike and tell him that either he needs to keep playing Hades and keep going at it, this is your time to jump on him. Yeah. I got to get good. I think uh, is what I really need to do. So, um, you know, I got to get my stuff together. Well, for myself, I've been jumping into Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, yeah. How's that going? A few weeks ago. I love this so game. So good. I don't mind whatever changes they make. I don't mind that it's not the full Final Fantasy VII story. I don't mind that they've had to make some changes to the character, changes to the story. The gameplay, the combat system is excellent. It is. It is top tier man this is midgar how i always imagined it it's beautiful it is really beautiful and the game 
I was in love with the Final Fantasy VII remake, like from Jump Street. The second I play the demo, I'm like, okay, this is real different. I don't care. Yeah, most Final Fantasy games of late, whether it's 10, 12, 13, 15, it takes me sort of a while to get into them. Maybe because I knew the characters going into this that helped me, but I got to tell you, this is one I'm playing through to the end. Oh, and you know what? And I think I said this last time we talked about it. And I'm actually, I actually like that it's not the full game. I'm happy that it's a 40-hour experience. I don't have the time. Better, right? Who has the time? I don't have the time to sink 120 hours into you know, an RPG like that. I'd rather play it every couple of years and play it to the max. And you know what? I love these characters. Like, I mean, I, I'm using a Final Fantasy VII mouse pad right now. So like... Yeah, Tifa. Uh, they're they're <laughs> part of video game history, these characters. We'll talk about Final Fantasy VII, I'm sure, at oh, some yeah. point. Oh, just get ready. Just get ready, all you haters out there. <laughs> get ready for me to talk about Final Fantasy VII ad nauseum. But... but <laughs> the remake is, is delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> beautiful. I was at Chapter 3, I think, last episode. By now, I'm about Chapter 7 or 8, and I'm loving it. Have you gotten to the wall market yet? I think I just got there. Oh, boy. Oh boy, that's like the best. That's like the best segment of the game. Uh, the wall market is so so good and beautifully handled with a 2020 mindset. So enjoy that. Enjoy that because it's it's definitely something that could have aged poorly, but man, has Square just they they killed it. I I, I couldn't. I don't think they could have done better with the Final Fantasy VII remake unless. The only way they could have made it better was if they were like, we're just going to give you another hour of gameplay every week. Like that's the only way they could have, it could have been better for me, for me. And what sold me on it was not only that the gameplay is amazing. It's like, I just got one look at cloud and I was just like, it's, it's. Yeah. I think a lot of the purists were upset and I know there's properties I love. And sometimes I can understand where purists get upset when things change. Yeah. Someone that Final Fantasy seven is not their favorite game but I do enjoy it and respect it. And I played it back then. I love what they've done so far. Uh, you know, full disclosure here. I saw the beginning of Final Fantasy VII Remake and got emotional because that was such a monumental game for me when I was 11, you know? And the fact that they, it's like, it's like a thank you letter to all the kids that sunk our lives into Final Fantasy VII. Well, it was seven um, years and... Millions and millions of dollars sending us yeah. a letter. <laughs> it's a giant thank you note. It's like, <laughs> it's funny because when I first started playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, I remember looking at the opening scene and how it's almost like shot for shot remade. And I was like, oh, you do care about us. It started you making know? me think, well, when can they do this with this game and this yeah. game? So, yeah, well, I, I'll be happy to report next time uh, as things progress. Please do. I'm very excited to hear your progression through Final Fantasy VII Remake. Awesome. Well, Mike, I want to thank you again for joining me on this awesome episode of the Hall of Fame games. Mike, anything you want to plug? Yeah, uh, you know, normal stuff. Uh, you can find me at the underscore Mike underscore Staub on, uh, that is S-T-A-U-B. I know my name might be a little hard to uh, spell based off my pronunciation of it. Um, it's a German word. You can look it up. So if you, uh, if you, you could do the underscore Mike underscore Staub, you can find me there on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram with that handle. I don't really stream too much, but I'm on Twitch as twitch.tv slash the Mike Staub. 
And uh, you can always find my band, Bad Mary. Uh, we are a rock and roll band, and uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff online. Uh, we do live live stream broadcasts, and you know we got a bunch of music out there. We're also very active on Twitter, and we sing songs about ninjas and robots and stuff. So um, you know that's what I'm doing. You can find me on the internet. I'm usually there, and uh, happy to be on this podcast because uh, it's been it's been a welcome um, distraction during this uh, kind of weird and difficult time. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. And this is a difficult time for everyone. So everyone be safe. Enjoy your holiday seasons. I don't know exactly when this will release around the end of this year, but please enjoy it. And please comment, follow, and please let us know any feedback that you guys have for us. Yeah. Like, and subscribe, like, and subscribe. And this is time of year. Play those games, guys. Please do. Please do.